Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Y'all glad to be here? Wasn't worship good this morning? Amen. Can we give the hand to our band? Thank you guys so much for y'all, sir. Thank you for our tech team. They're here every week. Make sure we have a great experience. Thank you guys so much. We are in the middle of a series, a three-part series we're doing on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we're calling it Making Sense of the World. Making Sense of the World. Last week, we talked about the power of a creation context, understanding that we are a part of a created story, that, that history had a beginning. We dug into that, and you might be asking yourself, why are we doing uh, um, a series on the first three chapters of Genesis. Well, I heard this story kind of secondhand, so some of the details may or may not be true. But um, a friend of some friends of mine had started um, a TV series. You know, it was on your, their particular platform. It was probably in that that Yellowstone kind of genre, and they were watching this this series. Well, one of them. It was a couple, and one of them decided to get some food, and the other one going to start, you know, get the series ready. And so they sat down together, and they watched the first episode, or what they thought was the first episode. And so they watched it. It was good, so they continued to watch. There was eight episodes in this particular season. And so the second episode, episode two. And, and, you know, if y'all have ever watched these series before, y'all realize that sometimes there's some confusion early on, but as you watch things clear up, it's kind of the allure of what's going on. But the more they watched, the more confused they got. And when they got to the end of the series, they're watching the season finale, hoping maybe, maybe somehow this finale would tie all the knots together. They realize going through the series that They'd already seen this before. Well, maybe this was a recap, so they kept kind of fast-forwarding through the end, and they realized that the entire finale, they watched season one as episode one. They missed the first episode. And so the whole, the whole thing didn't make any sense. They were upset at each other, had some marital conflict because of it. They've wasted their time, their energy. Why? Because they missed episode one. And they watched the whole thing in the wrong order. Now, why are we going through Genesis 1, 2, and 3? Because if we don't understand episode 1, episode 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way to Revelation, doesn't make any sense. Now, I know when we get saved and we get excited about the Bible, we want to jump to Revelation. Hold on to the finale. Let's go back and see what was God's original design, what was his intent and then when we understand that, we're able to live into the story God's telling. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read a good chunk of it. I'm titling this, The Power of a Relational Context. The Power of a Relational Context. Genesis 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. 
When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And the mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made the spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight, for good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it in his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, and we don't really get the the subtlety here, really, it's not subtle in Hebrew. It is an, an exclamation. It is a wow. It is a shout. This is last, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And if we study in the intricacies of the language, this is not just saying this came out of me. This is saying I am covenanting to this person. This is the first marriage covenant. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage three relationships that we were created for. The first, pretty obvious, is a relationship with God. God forms man out of the dust of the earth. From the beginning of our created being, the beginning of God creating humanity, we were created for intimate relationship with God. We've talked about this before here, but God gets down on his knees. Here's the picture. And he's forming in the dirt, and he's bringing up to his mouth, mouth to mouth. And we've talked about this. There's, a, there's some space. Have you ever had people that don't know about space? <laughs> I know COVID kind of reset, right? Everybody backed up. Everybody got this new, this is personal space, but slowly... It enters back in, and then you've got, so I had this friend of mine, he played football at UT Austin. 
His name was Brandon, and he would put his hand around you, and he was about six, four, six, five, maybe, about 275. He was a big man. He'd put his arm around you. He could really touch your sternum. That's how big his arm was. He put his nose, he had a big old, big old nose. He put that nose, and it would feel like it was touching your cheek. He'd say, Blake, Blake, what you eating there, man? No matter what I was eating, he wanted to have some of it. Can I, can I get a little bit of that? Can I get a little bit of that? What are you going to tell a 275 man draped all over you? No? No, you're going to say, take whatever you want, Brandon. And so here God is face to face breathing in our nostrils, the breath of life. This is reminiscent of the spirit we see here and, and even prophetic that we are to have a love relationship with God by the spirit. That's why Jesus, when he was uh, baptized, the spirit fell on him. That's why he said, ask for the spirit. That's why Paul said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's why he said, be filled with the Spirit because in order for us to be intimate with God, we need the Spirit of God. And this ruach, this nsama in the Hebrew is wind, it is breath, it is spirit. And here we are, God creating us for an intimate relationship with God. Now, God in this passage, in this chapter, gives us three pictures, three images. I think we've got the first one up here is the image of a potter and clay. Here is the image. God will take the dust of the earth and he'll mold it and he'll create us and he'll breathe into us. Look at this photo. See the intricacy. See, even from the beginning, that God is getting his hands dirty. He's willing to get down with us. He's willing to get in our mess. He's willing to form us. And here's the picture. Do you know God as potter? He wants to form you. You might be saying, Blake, there's a part of my life that I don't like. There's a part of who I am that's not, I don't, it's not good. And God says, that's okay, I'll form you. I'll form you into my image if you'll let me put my hands on you. Here's the picture in Jeremiah 18, verse 3. So I went down to the potter's house. Jeremiah got a word from the Lord, go down to the potter's house. I'm going to teach you something. And he says, so he goes down. And there he was working at the wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of God. You might be saying, Blake, Man, the, my clay is spoiled. And God is saying, I will create you into something beautiful. God is potter. He will form you. He will be patient with you. He will slap you on that wheel, pound you up real good. He'll sift you out. He will work you into his image. 
Do you know him as potter this morning? Have you submitted to the hands of the potter? Think about clay as clay don't talk back. You know? Clay doesn't object. I think there's a, you made a mistake here, Lord. Right? Here is the Lord forming us. Do you see yourself as a fixed vessel or do you see yourself as being formed by God? Three questions you might want to ask yourself to see. Are you still on the potter's wheel? Number one, do you confess your sins to the Lord on a constant and consistent basis? First John says it this way. Don't be deceived. There's no one without sin. How often do you confess your sins to the Lord? Is it rare? We may, our, we may find ourselves not on the potter's wheel. And beginning crusty. Do you confess your attitudes, actions, and mistakes to the people in your life that are affected by them? When is the last time you did? When was the last time before that? If there's not this consistency of transparency and vulnerability, then you may not be on the potter's wheel. See, if you're not being formed by the potter, you're probably being deformed by the world. Are you on his wheel? Are you in his hands? Have you said, you're the potter, I'm the clay? Does out of your mouth, like the psalmist David say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any hurtful way in me. God wants to form you. He's good. The other image we see in, in Genesis 2 is that God is gardener. This is what I love. God is getting in the dirt, not just to form you, but to prepare a place for you so that you might flourish. Everybody, I think Beta even referenced it this morning. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you. He's tilled the ground. He's planted the seeds. He's nurtured the soil. He's a gardener. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. God is fashioning you for his purpose, and he is cultivating you for his glory. It's marked, the potter marked by submission, and the gardener marked by cultivation. You might be saying, there's not much here. Let God breathe on it. Let God cultivate it. Are you planting God's word in your heart on a daily basis? Are you still, un are you still under the sun of his presence in worship and prayer? Do you sit under the showers of his encouragement in committed fellowship? Do you allow the hands of the gardener to pull the wild vines of lust, greed, selfishness, comfort, control in your heart that are hurting you and those around you? Do we see the trials and sufferings of life and the storms of life as simply wetting the soil to quickly pull out the weeds? Or do we curse God because it's difficult? Because the storm is here 
to till up that dry and crusty ground. Maybe this is just preparing for the, for the, the plow to plow. Maybe it's preparing the soil. What do they say? When you've got wild vines in the yard, what's the best way, what's the best time to pull up weeds? After the rain. The ground is soft. Comes right up. It's the perfect environment for a new planting of a revelation of who God is in the trial. Do you feel the cutting away of your branches, areas of your life, as God lovingly preparing you to be more fruitful or God against you. He's a gardener. He wants what's best for you. The gardener walks through the garden of your life so that you will be more fruitful. That's his goal. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to bear fruit to God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. God is developing these in you if you'll submit to him as gardener this morning. The third picture we see here in Genesis 2 is that God is shepherd. This is subtle, but if you'll think about it, think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. What do we see here in the garden? Greenery, life, greenery, rivers flowing through. God is shepherding man. He's watching him. In fact, He's even letting him come to his own conclusions, right? All right, name all the animals. And then at the end of naming all that, what does it say? It says, Adam realized for himself that there wasn't a mate suitable for him. Now, God knew it, but he let Adam come to the conclusion. He's shepherding him. He's giving him everything he needs to prosper, and he's empowering him to see, God, I need help. Amen? Men? Amen? We need help. And God lets us come to that conclusion. See, my sheep know my voice. All of this comes back to an intimate relationship with God. God as potter. God as gardener. God as shepherd. Leading and guiding you. Walking with you. Rebuking you with the, with the rod of his side. Hey, don't go that way. Go this way. Why? That stick is not there to hurt you. It's to lead you in the right direction. It feels like hurt. I want to go this. I want to go this way. Right? And God is saying, hey, I know what's best for you. We see this in Genesis 2. But not only does God want a relationship with us, not only is there a relationship with God, but there's a relationship to work. Look out now. Did y'all see this? When no bush of the field was yet to be in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Couple observations. Number one, God is working. Did y'all catch that? God is working. He created everything with the word of his mouth. He formed humanity with his hands. He dug the, God's at work. So work then is not a curse. Work then is to emote, is to reflect the very image of God. Right. To work is to 
Display who God is. God's at work. We should be working. We tend to fall into camps here. We either sit back, and this was, Devon said this this week that helped me. He said, man, we either sit back and we pray for tables, right? God, send us tables. God, give me a table. And God is saying, I gave you a tree. Make the table. I've given you the resources you need to be creative and make something beautiful. And we sit back. We want God to do all the work. Now, does God make tables? You know what? He might. I mean, he's done miracles before. But that's not, that's the exception. He's created you to make tables. Use your creativity. Use your hands. Use your mind. Make something beautiful. If we're going to reflect God as potter, God as potter is a creative God. And you were designed to be creative. Maybe you're in fine arts. Maybe you're in tech. Maybe you're in video. Maybe God has wired you to emote, to display God to the world through your creativity. That's how he designed it. In fact, the words here in Hebrew to, to keep, to work and to keep are abad and shamar. They are, when they're together, they're most used of priests in the tabernacle and the temple. So what God is saying is that I've created creation in my glory and I'm aligning you, I am empowering you as priests in the world and your work is worship to me. Your work is worship to me. Worship is not limited to this. This is a part of worship. This is a unique aspect of worship. This is a necessary part of your worship. But it is only one day a week that we do this, that we gather, right? Now, you can worship at home with song. You, can, you should. But your work is worship to God. That's exactly what he's saying here. Do you see your work that way? Or do you curse God because you have to do it? I've had days like that. Amen? Now, the other part that's interesting here is there was no trees. There was nothing there because rain hadn't fallen and no man was there to cultivate the ground. Do you see the joint venture that God's asked us to? There's things that he's calling you to do that he won't do. I'm going to start the garden, but then I'm going to step back. It's all yours. You can't make it rain. And he will not till the ground. One without the other is still desolation. God, bring rain. Will you prepare for the rain by tilling the ground? Will you, by faith, prepare for when I do pour, you're ready? Or will you work and never cry out to God for rain? Never look to God for what only he can do. This is such a picture of our salvation. The Bible says you're born again by the Spirit. I cannot make you born again. You have to put faith in Christ and he has to open your eyes so that you might see Christ. That's something God could, that's a miracle, guys. But this is what Jesus said for us to do. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Jesus made 12 disciples. He ain't making disciples no more. He's done. Jesus is done making disciples. He's empowered us to make disciples. Do you see that? 
Now, I can't really make a disciple without Jesus making the disciple, but he won't do it without me and you. Why do you think he knocked Paul off of horse, wherever he was, blinded his eyes and sat him down, and then he went to Ananias and said, now you go lay hands on him. Why? Because God is in a joint venture to bring the kingdom to the earth. We see this even in the garden. The garden of Eden was like the special place where heaven and earth were merged together, that God would just walk down the street. He'd call on Adam and Eve. They'd walk together. Angels and power and beauty would be there. But when, the, when, the, when we sin, there was a separation of those two moments. And then when Christ came in, he began to bring the kingdom again. And that's why he prays through the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is near, God says. It's breaking in again. Not through a garden, but through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. And through you, it's a, it's a partnership. And that's not just the saving of souls. That's essential. We want everyone to come to know Jesus. It is eternal life to walk in relationship with him. But did you know that your work is an extension of the kingdom? Polis, politics, the working for justice for all people in a city is an extension of the kingdom. Business to create finances so that people can have money and feed their families and prosper. That's an extension of the kingdom, education to pour information into young people so that they might flourish and become who God's called them to be. That's an extension of the kingdom. The kingdom is not limited to ministry. It is a part of that, but it extends far beyond that. The arts. I mean, have, how many of us have been touched or ministered to by the chosen? Anybody in here? That's an expression Using the technology, using creativity, using acting, using giving, all these things coming together. That's just one element of what the kingdom could look like. Amen? But it also means new businesses that take care of our planet. This planet is a gift from God. It's a gift. And we can strip it or we can cultivate it. That's not... Republican or Democrat. That's just Bible. I mean, God gave us the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. Take care of it. Cultivate it. Keep it. Oh my God, he said, take care of the earth. Yeah, just because the Bible did. It's not a political statement. I'd say the same thing about any other hot button topic. Here's... The reality, we were created for relationship with work. Now, sin changes that. Sin does. In fact, let me, before, I'm going to invite BJ up and as he comes, because I feel like I've sat down with BJ a number of times, and he has a revelation of work as worship, and through this lens that's going to be helpful for us, he's going to share a testimony. I want to read this quote from Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller. He says this, the book of Genesis leaves us with a striking truth. Work was a part of paradise. It is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. 
work and rhythm with rest is one of the Ten Commandments. Did y'all know that? Six days you shall labor. We, we like that seventh part, right? But he said, you got to work for six. Now, I know I've talked about this before, but all the science is saying, if you'll work for six and rest for seven, you'll get more done. If you ignore that truth and work for seven, bad things happen. Not just like catastrophic things, but your body breaks down, your, your mental capacity, your efficiency breaks down. It all breaks down. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. According to the Bible, we don't merely need the money for work to survive. We need work itself to survive and live fully human lives. Work, and lots of it, is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. It is, the supreme, it is a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our lives purpose. But it must play its proper role, subservient to God. Now work, there's two ditches here, right? You can work yourself to death. And you can try everything in your power to get away from work. Neither are the right ditch. Work for the glory of God. Invite God into your work. But don't make work God. It's a horrible master. Amen. BJ, come up and share with us some revelation you have on work. Yeah, real, real quick, the, uh, just what I do, I'll just explain that first. Uh, so I have a, a digital marketing and advertising agency here, actually in the building. And about 10 years ago, opened this office here. And really the vision was to uh, find and tell awesome local stories. And so the short version of uh, what I do is that uh, we started engaging uh, local faith-based nonprofits and engaging students at ECU and bringing them into an environment that, uh, where we found and told those awesome local stories that are happening here in Greenville. Over the 10 years, we've helped these local faith-based nonprofits raise millions of dollars. Um, so uh, I give God the glory for that. It's kind of the short version. What makes this remarkable is my faith background, because uh, <clears throat> I was one of those that, in your illustration that you said uh, at the very first, I had things in the wrong order, okay? Coming up in the church in 30 years ago, in the 90s, and many, some people this will resonate with, or, or maybe you have been uh, impacted by kind of the mindset I think we had back then was that we wanted to get people to heaven, okay? So we were concerned about eternity in people's lives. But we maybe, for me, I got kind of started at like Genesis 3 at the fall and then looked at eternity that way, but focused really like the problem started at the fall, but forgot about the first episode the first season, I'm sorry, the first season, which is what he's talking about, Genesis 1 and 2, all this creation stuff, like, hey, here's the original design, here's what God created us to do, and when we look at, uh, when we go back and look at Genesis 1, and I look at that now, and in my heart, there's been this great transformation that when I go from 
to keep it simple, a Genesis 3 mindset to a Genesis 1 mindset. Uh, it's been transformed for me to see people differently, see myself differently, and see creation differently. And now, how does that work? What's that have to do with work? Um, so I think when, as it relates to, to work, we can, uh, we don't have to worry about necessarily influencing culture. We can create culture. Yeah. We've taken these ECU students, we put them over here in this building, okay? We interact with faith-based nonprofits like Building Hope, like ENC, like the church here, many others, okay? And we put them in that environment, no matter what their background is, and we put them in that kingdom environment. They're, they're, uh, they're impacted for the kingdom, right? And so that has been, and we've taken dozens of students through that, put them in that environment and, and watch and see what God does as we create videos for these nonprofits and they hear these testimonies and we, we bring them into this space and we let them see what God is doing and it puts them in that culture, in that environment and we can uh, collaborate, uh, we can co-create with God that original mandate from the beginning, we can do that and we can uh, create culture and put those people in that culture. Uh, so again, I see, um, I see creation differently. I see people differently. I see them as image bearers first and not just sinners, right? So I see them. And, and so I've trained my brain. This is what I do when I go to Walmart. I train my brain to see image bearers, not, not just sinners. And I look, I see image bearer, image bearer. Oh, look at that one. Wow, look at that one. Look at that image bearer. I mean, you train your brain that way and your whole countenance changes. If you go around like, ooh, sinner, 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 then your, your countenance is different. So seeing people differently, uh, that has been transformational for me. And that means going back to the beginning, how I view creation and my part in the larger story is going to affect my work. So let's not look to escape. Let's look to engage. That has been uh, incredible for me. We still have a role to play here and now. It's to pull down heaven in the lives of others, who, by the way, are image bearers, bringing heaven to earth in someone else's situation. Uh, yes, the fall made things harder, but the original invitation still stands. That's what I have to share. Yeah. Thanks for letting me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. good, isn't it? Lord, help us see our work from a different lens. Help us, Father, see people from a different lens. Lord, that we would see image bearers first. Yes, broken sinners. Yes, in need of radical salvation. And we're inviting them back into inviting them back into a relationship they were designed for. So Lord, we're grateful for that this morning. A couple marks this morning as we look at uh, healthy relationships with work. Do you see work as a curse or as a blessing? Not doing all we can to avoid it, but to steward it for the glory of God. 
Do you see it as a means of worship? Or as a means to get through for another end, right? We usually use work as a means to money. We need money. But do we see worship, do we see work as the means, as the end? It's a partnership with God to increase and expand the kingdom of heaven. It should not completely dominate our lives if we can't take a day off or step away or put our phone down. Amen? As we wrap up this morning, there's much to say about the relationships that God has called us to. But I want to highlight these two in this passage this morning. The first is our relationship with the Lord. Do you know Him? Do you hear His voice? Does He lead and guide you into what He's calling you to do? Do you have a back and forth relationship with God where He is the potter and you are the clay, but y'all commune together? That's the relationship that God is calling us into. Where we live and we work and we journey with God through this side of heaven. Do you have that relationship? Are you allowing Him to cultivate your soul? Pulling up the weeds? Pruning your life so that you can be more fruitful? Are you allowing Him to walk through your life? Inspecting your fruit? Cultivating a new level of productivity, a new level of heaven expansion in your home, in your relationships? And then do you have a good relationship with your work? Do you, I'm going to be honest, I've been convicted this week about my relationship with work. That Jesus, when I have to do things that aren't on my, I get upset. Jesus just reminded me that, man, do you see this an intrusion in your plan or an invitation to worship? And I say, I usually see it as an intrusion. So Jesus was working on me. And so my prayer for us this morning is one, that you would have a deep, abiding, face-to-face, cultivating, pliable relationship with God. And two, that you see your life, not just your spiritual life, but all of life as an opportunity to worship and commune with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us this morning have an intimate relationship with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're saying this morning, Blake, I have never said, I've never acted like, God, you're the potter, I'm the clay. Here's my life, I give it to you. And I'm I'm ready and willing to make that decision this morning. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Raise it high. Amen. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand, I want you to just make an altar right where you are. This isn't magic. There's no magic prayer. This is about you surrendering to Jesus. In your own words, say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. 
be the potter and I'll be the clay. I'll trust you with my life. Thank you, Lord. For some of us in this room who, who have said that prayer, who have prayed that prayer, who, who do want to be on the will of the potter, if you're here this morning saying, Blake, I'm convicted and I want God to be a part of my work life. I want to invite God into my work life. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you all over this room. Father, you see the hands. Lord, forgive us for putting you in the corner, for putting you in our box, Lord. I pray that you'd break and shatter our boxes, that you would step into our lives, our schoolwork, our labor, our mental work. God, we're inviting you to have your way in us. Lord, help us. Fill us with your spirit. Did y'all know that the first time the Spirit fell on individuals in the Bible, it was craftsmen who were making things with their hands, not priests. God wants to anoint you to work. Lord, I pray you'd anoint your people to work. Lord, you said in Deuteronomy, you've given your people the power to make wealth. Lord, I pray that you would help us work for your glory as an extension of the kingdom of heaven, Lord, that we wouldn't look to our bosses, we would look to you, our boss. We wouldn't look to the, whoever's writing our paycheck, we'd look to you who writes our paycheck. And we'd work for you, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Thank you, Father.